The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. Hello and you're very welcome to the Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio today were our political editor Pat Leahy, political reporter Sarah Barden and our parliamentary correspondent Michael O'Regan. Five days on from the decision of the Irish people to remove the Eighth Amendment from the Constitution and to empower the Dáil to legislate for the provision of abortion services in Ireland, the reverberations continue across the political landscape. We are going to do another podcast later this week. We're going to be looking at how the referendum unfolded and what we might have learned from it we'll be joined for that by columnist Una Mullally and political scientist Jane Souter along with our usual political team. But today we covered some of the aftermath including the implications for Fianna Fáil which we discussed with party frontbencher Niall Collins who has been unsparing in his criticism of other members of his own party and did that today too as well. But first of all I asked Pat Leahy about what lay behind the divergence between the final opinion polls of the campaign and the ultimate result. Well, as you say, we've we've said it here before, but that never stops us from saying it again. So it's important to realise as much what the polls don't tell us as what they tell us. So what they give us is a read, which we believe to be reasonably reliable and uh, of the political landscape. But as you say, that you know was published ten days out, probably sampled twelve days out, and uh, it it uh, suggested that at that stage there was a substantial lead for. Uh, for the yes side. I think it was 58... 58, 42, 42 once, once don't knows, the don't knows, and so forth was excluded. The, um, it put, the, it put the, the core no vote at that stage at, I think, 33%, which is more or less uh, bang on where it, where it was. So if you accept that that, uh, that poll was reasonably, uh, was reasonably accurate... And I suppose we have no way of knowing that uh, for certain. But if you, you know, if you take the, the accept the science of uh, the science of polling, you accept that that is reasonably accurate. Then what you see is a dramatic move towards the yes side in the last week and a half. Now, I think that surprising and all, and unprecedented in terms, uh, literally unprecedented in that it went against all previous precedents, that that may be, it is nonetheless consistent with our observation of the campaign uh, on the ground. Um, the other thing uh, that I would say, uh, so, so in that sense, you know, the, it is, you know, perhaps... Uh, well, when you say well, consistent with our interpretation of what happened on the ground, how, could you explain that? I, I, I think there was a sense in the last week or so, and maybe I'm speaking in hindsight now, but I think that there, uh, there, there was a sense that while the no campaign was gaining from the start of the campaign to a little after its midpoint, which culminated in the first television debate, when that Irish Times poll that you speak about uh, came out, and was followed by two other polls showing bigger yes leads that weekend. That sort of punctured the no momentum, uh, punctured the bubble of the no momentum. And in that last week, eight days or so of the uh, 
uh, of the campaign, we saw and we talked about it in here, we wrote about it in the paper, we saw the no side trying to make this last desperate pitch for the middle ground with its message that it might be possible after all to do restricted abortions or that they might possibly support a constitutional amendment that allowed for abortion in hard cases. And I think what we interpreted that uh, to be and consistent with what TDs in Leinster House, who generally have a good uh, nose and ear for these things, were saying to us was that the movement in that last week was towards the SI. That's what I mean uh, uh, when, I, when I say that was consistent with our observation uh, of oh, the campaign. Oh, oh. The, the final thing I'd say in, in, in response to your first question is that, of course, pollsters and the people who employ them, that's us, need to constantly review their methodologies, their sampling processes. Uh, they need to track them to results and they need to go back to people. And that's a process uh, that Ipsos are pretty consistently engaged in and one that we talk to them about. All because, the because there's no, I mean, I'm not um, necessarily, I, I know that their methodology is excellent. But we could do a full podcast on their methodology sometime. That sounds like fun. We should fun, point out, of course, that their me. exit poll was... Spot on. Absolutely. It, it, was, it was very good indeed. But one of the things which has arisen, I know, Sarah, in, for example, in the UK, where they've had some real issues with, with opinion polling, particularly for general elections in the last few years, is the kind of filters which polling companies put in place to predict who's more likely to vote and who's less likely to vote, who's more likely to be honest with an opinion poll about their preference and who's less likely to be honest. And it, it strikes me now we have a lot of this data looking at what happened in this referendum is one of the other surprises about this result was a very high turnout when many people thought that actually turnout would be relatively low, maybe in the low 50s. So it was more than 10% higher than that, more than in marriage equality. And there also some of the data seems to show that there was real enthusiasm within some demographic groups who would be presumed to be more in favour of a yes vote. Young women, for example, or in fact women, women, all women really for, for the most part, and young people in particular who are often deemed to be less likely to vote. Yeah, I think the Ipsos MRBI poll showed that 94, there was an increase of 94% in the age category of 18 to 24 females turning out to vote in Which comparison with the marriage equality. It's pretty incredible. I think it was... From a very low base, should be said, though. And 22% then from 24 to mm. 34, I think. So it's the, if you look at the... Uh, the uh, photograph that they have up on their social media account, it's its only going in one tra trajectory and that's up with regards to women and the number of women who turned out to vote. With regards to our poll though, you know, our, our polls didn't necessarily get it wrong because what we had defined was about 20% of people who were undecided and we automatically presumed that that undecided meant that they were no voters where it turns out they were actually silent the majority of them were silent yes voters so I don't think you know polls really they're a snapshot in time but actually our um, our polls have always proven to be very much in line with what the result is um, on the final day I mean our general election exit poll had it absolutely bang on the money in 2016 with regards to how the general election turned out. Our exit poll in this referendum had it absolutely bang on the money was uh, as to how the referendum turned out. I mean, you can only take so much from polls. Pat says, you know, the the often we rely upon TDs and senators to be our barometers on the ground and in this particular instance I think we relied too much on TDs and senators I certainly did myself because for me they were actively disengaged with the subject they were ignoring it and it was wrong to take what they were saying 
um, as an overall or accurate picture as to where the country was on this particular issue. Having said that, they did say within the past week, the last week of the campaign, it was only going to go one way and the momentum was firmly behind the yes side. But even even they and even I only believed that on the day it would probably be 58, you know, 42 best case scenario. Never in a million years did I think anyone would anyone believed or thought that it would end up the way that it did. And one of the other things, of course, um, Michael, is that um, against general predictions, perhaps mm. predictions based on people's gut rather than the data, but the, of, of a rural-urban divide, the fact is that rural Ireland voted pretty much en masse uh, by substantial majorities in most constituencies. Uh, it voted yes against predictions. And so, for example, your own county of Kerry um, voted yes, which I think a lot of people would have found a surprise yep. only a few months ago. What does that mean for the politics It, it means the urban-rural divide is over. I remember post-83 referendum there was this rural-urban divide, and we tended to look at referendums after that on fairly controversial social issues in terms of rural-urban. That's gone. It's finished. And I think it's finished because the uh, internet and all that and social media and, you know, it's, it's a much smaller world now. There's no difference, really, in outlook overall between some young person growing up in South Kerry and some young person growing up in South Dublin. And we saw that in, in the uh, referendum result. Uh, the interesting thing, by the way, the early indications, so I was looking at the tally figures here in the office on uh, Saturday, fascinated uh, to see that the Healy Ray brothers, Michael and Denny Healy Ray, who were strong advocates of a no vote, in their own patch in Kilgarvan, by the way, where they have extensive business interests, apart from being high-profile TDs, they have a pub, they have... Uh, a supermarket, so they're interacting on a business and political level with people. In fact, uh, there was a majority yes vote in their own local polling booth, 298 votes to 283. Now, if if Kilgarvan is changing the world, the world is changing pretty rapidly elsewhere. <laughs> and I was talking to Danny Healy-Ray actually about the result. And I asked, uh, I asked him, had he seen it coming? And he said, only in the last few days. Uh, actually, Sarah's right about one thing. Just um, one. <laughs> well, one thing just now, Sarah, <laughs> you're right about most things most of the time. But that 20% undecided, I was certainly part of a daft consensus in Leinster House from talking to DDs that the undecideds were no voters. In retrospect, I don't know where that came from. But well, it came from many previous referendums. I, I think it did, yes, in fairness. So, but, I mean, it wasn't completely... Daft, it, it, it was yes. going on precedent. Go, going on but precedent. But I, I, I was speaking on Thursday to one of the TDs advocating a no vote, and he had noticed the shift. He said it'll be 60-40 in favour of the yes side. But before that, there was the assumption that, uh, and Pat is right because it was based on previous polls and all that kind of thing, that uh, they, they were under, that there were no voters. In fact, they were the silent yes voter. And Michael, it's very interesting you should say that because, of course, the political party which is most affected by the kind of trends you're talking about is Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil's spokesperson for foreign affairs, Niall Collins, joins us on the line. But Sarah, first of all, you have an extensive piece today about the challenges the party faces. Yeah, I suppose for Fianna Fáil, um, the abortion issue has created, you know, serious difficulty for the party internally. There are uh, a number of people who, a small number of people who were in support of repeal, including the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin. And, but the, the majority of the parliamentary party were opposed to it. And what that did was create a very hostile atmosphere within the parliamentary party. It was referred to by the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin, last night at his parliamentary party, where he said that there was undermining of each other um, in the party over the past number of months. And he had seen it and he would reflect on it and want to discuss it with each individual TD. 
But what the results uh, shows is, and, uh, and Niall um, was quoted in a, a piece by my colleague Fia Kelly uh, a number of days ago, it showed that while the country went 70-30 in favour of repeal, the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party had gone the other way, 70-30 against. And that raises a really, really difficult question for Fianna Fáil and their relevance to a new generation of voters who turned out for the first time on this societal issue. Now, I do make the point in the piece that I don't think that their uh, the vote their ne- their vote at the next general election will be framed solely on the issue of abortion, but their perception of individual political parties will be shaped by where they stood in this era of great societal change. And while Fine Gael and Sinn Féin appear to be moving forward, Fianna Fáil appears to be ma- to be standing very still. Niall Collins, do you agree with Sarah's analysis there? I do, I do. I, I think it's been um, a very difficult period for the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party um, over the last uh, six weeks to two months. And there has been um, a focus on us, and uh, primarily um, generated by virtue of the fact that the, the vast majority of the Parliamentary Party um, were, were advocating a no uh, vote or were taking uh, a very strong position in relation to no. I mean, it is a fact that I suppose the three main political parties, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin, um, their parliamentary parties were divided. Um, I think about 20 members of the Fianna Gael parliamentary party, but, you know, they were for no, but they stayed largely quiet and they stayed out of the uh, debate and, uh, you know, so with the result that there wasn't any focus on them. Similarly with Sinn Féin, I think they'd pretty much two uh, member, at least two TDs um, who advocated a, a no position. And Sinn Féin, I suppose, um, had the added difficulty which there wasn't a whole pile of focus on. Uh, you know, they were in favour of repeal but had no position in relation to the 12 weeks. So they just kept trotting out the line, uh, we're in favour of repeal and they still have to... Uh, get their own uh, party position. No, they've, uh, de- they've definitely got their problems there, but Fianna Fáil oh, yeah, is the only yeah. party where a substantial majority of the parliamentary party was, was against this pro- and, proposition. And, and also, Niall, if I, uh, Patley here, Niall, if I might just add, I think one of the reasons that there was a, a focus in the media on Fianna Fáil, and you're right to say that there was, but because the anti-repeal TDs came out and sought that focus. They posed for their photographs in Marion Square and uh, and so on. I, I just wonder where you think they go from, if that was a mistake, and where they go from here now. Well, I, I think they have to they have to have a long conversation with themselves. A lot of them are new TDs, also, which is, which is a worry. Um, and like, and I, I this is my first time saying this. Um, you can't become a, a politician. Our, our political party cannot become a prisoner of your core uh, base. Uh, you have to show leadership to your core base. And um, unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues didn't show um, leadership within their own constituencies or within you know, the units of the um, Fianna Fáil organization with which they work uh, closest to within their constituencies. And uh, uh, sadly, a lot of them um, have been saying since the doll has returned uh, this week uh, that they got it wrong and they regret that they got it wrong. Um, so the party has to really, um, you know, has to, has to pull together now in terms of how we now as a party uh, face into the passage of the forthcoming legislation. And from my own point of view, it was mentioned last night at our parliamentary party uh, that uh, the whip should be applied by 
at least one speaker, and certainly that is something which I think uh, the party leader should consider uh, in terms of um, how the party approaches this, because, um, you know, people, people saying um, standing up uh, and saying, uh, since the result ha- has been um, since the result has been announced at the weekend that they won 't block the passage of the legislation you know i mean i mean that pe- people people are quite shocked by that really because how could anybody say uh, given the scale and the nature of the result that they could block the legislation or even countenance the, the blocking of the legislation following such an emphatic referendum result. Niall, can I ask you Can I ask you about, just in relation to that and this whole issue of conscience and whether the whip, the whip should be applied. Now, Sarah has, has a quote in her article from an unnamed senior Fianna Fáil TD. It says as follows, most constituencies were 70-30 in favour of repeal. We went the other way. That proves most of it was not genuine. It was selfish and pure political opportunism. What do you make of that? Well, look, I mean... Sometimes people uh, tr- try to try to make political calculations rather than um, you know dealing with the dealing with the issue and uh, the substance of the issue. And maybe there was a degree of that um, in the approach that some people took. And uh, I think it has been an eye opener for for um, a lot of people within our parliamentary party. So what what the party has to do now is it, it has to approach. Uh, the passage of the legislation, I think, in a very, very constructive manner. And I would really, really be concerned if any of my colleagues within the parliamentary party uh, countenanced voting against um, any, uh, any stages of, of the legislation, uh, particularly because the legislation, as you know, <clears throat> the general scheme of the bill was published uh, and was pretty much the substance of the debate. Uh, let's be honest about it. Niall, Michael O'Regan here. Uh, you broke new ground in Fianna Fáil and Limerick in that you had Alva Smith, a feminist, probably, uh, you know, very deserving of a lot of praise for this. She worked for over many years. I never thought I'd see the day coming from neighbouring Kerry, uh, <coughs> Niall, that I'd see a strong feminist at a Fianna Fáil meeting uh, launching the Yes campaign down in Limerick. A lot of new ground and you deserve credit for it. Did you get any stick from any elements within your own Fianna Fáil organisation on that? Uh, very little, Michael. Um, a, a, num- uh, a very small number of uh, people within the, the Fianna Fáil organisation uh, would have taken issue. When I say very small, uh, you, w- you would count that number on less than one hand, if I could describe it that way. Um, pe- people, people largely respected uh, where other people positioned themselves in relation to this. And um, certainly, I, I think, um, look, I mean, a, a lot of the younger people acknowledged it to me um, and thanked me for the position that I took, uh, which I wasn't looking for. Look, I mean, I, I supported the protection of life during pregnancy uh, legislation back in 2013. I supported, uh, there was a number, the Claire Daly bill, uh, and I think was who else brought the, the other bill similar in relation to fatal fetal abnormalities? Was it Joan Collins? I um, just can't remember who, who was the sponsor of the... It, it came before the doll on at least two occasions um, since 2013, you'll recall. Um, I would have supported it just as, as a, I suppose, a statement of principle. So, um, no, I didn't come under huge pressure. Um, but certainly, I, I think, from the Fianna Fáil uh, party point of view... Um, the, the, the perception is of a large disconnect of the, the parliamentary party. That is something which hugely Could I ask you me. something just on that? I mean, 
Those members of the front bench who felt, quote, in conscious, unquote, that they couldn't support a yes vote, now they're talking about not obstructing the legislation but not necessarily voting for it. Given that they're so out of touch with the Irish, the majority of the Irish people, should they not resign their front bench position? Well, you're, you're putting the gun to my head there, Michael. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think um, they, that they would really have to, you know, take a, take a long, hard, uh, have a long, hard chat with themselves in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of how they approach, um, how they approach these issues. Because, you, you know, for me, I, I was hugely disappointed that a number of um, people would have even voted against the holding of a referendum. Like a referendum is the ultimate, um, you know, act and exercise of democracy where every, where every citizen has a say uh, on an important issue. Indeed, but, but we have uh, moved, moved on now. And sir, let me just ask you, Sarah, um, if a whip were to be applied, how problematic would that be for members of the parliamentary party who do have a conscientious objection? I mean, would you see a renewal-type situation in Fianna Fáil? No, I don't think so, because a lot of the people who are who advocated a no vote in the referendum are core Fianna Fáil. They will never leave the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party. If a gun was literally put to their head, they would stay. They would stay standing. So, I mean, you're talking about people like Bobby Aylward and Mary Butler and Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. These people wouldn't leave Fianna Fáil for love nor money. I don't think that's a problem. I think that the problem there for the party is they they... They gave a freedom of conscience vote. Can they really take it away at this, at this, at the last moment? But I think Niall uh, uh, Collins and, and Barry Cowan, who made the suggestion at the parliamentary party, um, made it because Fianna Fáil are on the back foot here, and it's an attempt to really to get them level with the Irish public because the Irish public now want this legislation introduced as a matter of urgency. And while the Fianna Fáil TDs who advocated a no vote say they won't block or they won't obstruct it, they haven't said they won't amend it. And days before the referendum result was announced, Mary Butler, Declan Brannock and Eamon O'Queeve stood outside Leinster House and said that they would amend the legislation to allow for terminations in the cases of rape, incest, fatal fetal abnormalities. Michael McGrath said something similar on the radio yesterday, not saying that they would block or obstruct the legislation, but they may try and amend it. And that's where the difficulty would come in. There is one thing. They they won't won't have anything like the numbers, of course, to amend it, but the optics of trying to amend it and of tabling amendments, which would necessarily delay the passage of it, would be difficult. But I think we're all losing sight of one thing here, and that is that while 70% of people voted well, I, this for is it, exactly the question 30% I was going to put of yeah, people who, voted who against it. And I wonder, uh, to go back to Niall, uh, if, if, if you think that there is a temptation uh, in the minds of many no-voting Fianna Fáil TDs to go and look for those votes, because while certainly nothing like 30% of the... Uh, of the electorate vote in elections with abortion as the most important deciding factor in their vote. Uh, There is a number of pro-life votes in every constituency and it seems to me that they may be looking for a home and some of your colleagues may be tempted uh, to open the door for them. Yeah, there is. I think there's um, an ever-decreasing pro-life vote in every constituency. I'm not sure um, if there's any if there's any TD within Dalairn who will stand up uh, and tell you that uh, he or she was elected on purely a pro-life vote. But what what my colleagues, uh, or at least some of them, are, are going to have to appreciate is that um, 
you know, I suppose one, one definition of democracy is that the minority has to accept the, the, the decision or the will of the majority. And, um, you know, that has been pretty emphatically expressed by virtue of the referendum result. So, um, you know, saying that late in the day you're going to um, offer some kind of amendments uh, really, really doesn't cut the mustard for me. Um, you know, so the party, the party has been in touch uh, with many, many issues over the years and has been very much um, right in tune and in step with the mood of the public. But on this one, um, I think we've been hugely exposed and the party needs to collectively um, pull itself together and demonstrate to the Irish people that um, it recognises the emphatic statement which was made uh, and announced at the Count Centre last Saturday and get, and get with the programme. Now, Collins, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. So, sir, this is kind of fascinating to hear what Niall Collins has to say here. How does this all play out now? I mean, it is going to be fascinating for us to watch, but uh, very difficult for Hall Martin to contain because what's happened here is those who supported a yes vote are on the right side, I suppose, of of the people. They're on the right side of history with regards to this. Those who advocated a no a no vote um, are now being are, are being held to account by those people who advocated a yes vote. So there's a personal element to this. There's a completely personal element because a lot of the people who advocated a yes vote, right, I think it's in the region of 11 11 people, um, in TD-wise, add the senators, I think it's 14, 15. Anywho, they were isolated by those who advocated a no vote in the the final weeks of the referendum How do you mean isolated? So anecdotal evidence would would suggest that people who were really close in the parliamentary party their ties were severed and we had examples of people who were you know going to sit beside their colleagues in the canteen and there was hushed voices when uh, the the person came over and the conversation suddenly stopped and so now those who advocated a yes vote are determined to make those who advocated a no vote as bad as they felt in the uh, final weeks of the referendum doesn't campaign. sound like a recipe for a party unity it sounds success. like a recipe for absolute disaster one which we will follow with uh, you know with bated breath but for Hall Martin the difficulty is trying to piece that all back together because there there is deep resentment now between some members of the Fianna Fáil party some of which is you know is damaged beyond repair um, and I do think you know you had you have people like Billy Kelher and Timmy Dooley who were always seen as being close to the leader and were therefore always treated with a bit of bit of caution. But you have the new guns like Jim O'Callaghan, Lisa Chambers, Fiona Lachlan, James Lawless, John Lahart, and then you know people like uh, Niall Collins and Barry Kane, who would be very popular within the the, the grassroots of the party. Um, if they're if they're all going in one direction. And then you have a whole cohort of other TDs and senators going in a, in a whole other direction. I mean, I don't really know where it's going, where it's going to end it's, up, but it's going to be deeply, it's deep, deeply difficult to repair. It's it's a really important moment, I think, for Fianna Fáil and for the leadership of Michal Martin to define, you know, who speaks for Fianna Fáil. Is it? him and his allies, or is it the more numerous group that came out against this before the referendum? And, you know, albeit that this is a a, a discreet 
issue. It's about more than just this as well. It's about a whole set of attitudes to social issues. It's about the leadership of Michal Martin. Uh, and, and I think it's a really fascinating moment. And just one, one last question on it, because I, the, I can tell we're going to be returning to this as well. Fianna Fáil traditionally, Michael, has been a party ruthlessly committed to the, uh, to the acquisition and exercise of power. And perhaps is that what might bring it together ultimately? I, I, I think it is. It's capacity sort of for survival. If you go back post-arms crisis, for instance, in 1970, when it appeared, you know, your senior minister sacked, they recovered from that. Now, they're still on probation with the Irish voters following the collapse of the economy. This is, that's, a, that's, that's, that's tricky ground for them. But I wouldn't underestimate their capacity to regroup with power and sight. The, the problem for them, of course, is that uh, while they have the core vote, their core vote, all blind loyalties are gone. I mean, the, Dick Walsh of this parish wrote a book on Fianna Fáil in the 1980s when he quoted his father, who was involved in Fianna Fáil and Clare. And this old man in Clare said to Dick Walsh's father, we were at Fianna Fáil since the rising, to which Dick Walsh's father said, uh, 1916, no, said the old man, 1798. <laughs> that kind of blind loyalty is gone. Despite their core support, they have to bear that in mind as well. The difficulty as well, though, in 2011, they were united and they were determined to, mm-hmm. to, to bring Fianna Fáil back from the brink. On this occasion, this isn't just about abortion. This is about a deep uh, unsettlement within the parliamentary party. And they're not at one. And when and they're actually spitting very firmly down the middle. And it's going to be very difficult to sew that back up. Watch this space. Thanks very much for coming in, guys. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to Pat, to Sarah, to Michael and to Niall for joining us today. Thanks also to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And please do, if you get a chance, uh, do rate us because it helps us to get out to a wider audience. You can find me on Twitter or at hlinhan at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. 